There's no better way to find out what customers want than talking to them, and talking to lots of them. My guest today is a certified financial planner who's been on a remarkable journey to build a parallel career as an accomplished writer and broadcaster. Listen to Fergus's fascinating stories from his dual life as an advisor and media star. Hear his insights into what consumers really think of the financial services industry and what we all can do to help more people understand their money. That's all right here in episode 49 of the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. Welcome, you're listening to the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. For each episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. So let's get on with the show and here's your host, Roger Edwards. I'm delighted to introduce you to my guest today and he is Fergus Muirhead. Fergus is a certified financial planner and an experienced writer and broadcaster. He has written on all aspects of money and consumer issues for a number of newspapers and magazines, including Scotland on Sunday, The Sun, The News of the World and the Journal of the Probate Section of the Law Society. He wrote a regular column in Moneywise magazine and for five years he was consumer champion at best-selling magazine Women's Own. He is the author of three money advice booklets for one-parent families and has also written online content for RBS MoneySense website as well as their teacher's guide to finance booklets. As well as his writing credits, Fergus has appeared regularly on a number of radio and TV programmes. These include GMTV, BBC Breakfast, Homes Live and Location, Location, Location. You can currently see Fergus and hear him on his regular money and consumer slot on BBC Scotland's flagship TV news programme Reporting Scotland and on the lunchtime radio show John Beatty. So Fergus, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Thanks, Roger. Fergus, you've got a fascinating CV there. As well as being a financial planner, you're an accomplished broadcaster, appearing on all sorts of radio shows and TV shows. And I thought maybe we'd just diverse from the usual Empath podcast format today and just explore a little bit about how you got into broadcasting and how it's helped you project yourself as a broadcaster and build upon your skill as a financial advisor. So just take us back a little bit to how all of this started. What what got you on the road to broadcasting and how did that become a tangent to your financial planning? Well, I think it started maybe about 15 years ago now, Roger. I had an old university friend who was editing a magazine called Scolag. Okay. And Scolag was the Scottish Legal Action Group newspaper. And it was a, it was a newspaper that went out to members of the legal profession who were involved in um, welfare work and, and, and benefits work and human rights work. Um, and, and Jimmy phoned me and asked me if I would write if I would write an article on pensions for the magazine. Right. And, and I'd never actually written anything in my life before. It was fascinating the first few things because uh, it was the it was the days when we still used typewriters rather than than computers. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I would get my typewriter out and, and, and I would put some words onto this and I would post it to Jimmy, and he would have a look at it and come back to me with some changes and say, you know, why do you need the first paragraph when you've effectively said the same thing in the second paragraph? And, and having done the first one, he came back to me and said, look, will you do something every month for us? Yeah, uh, and I think that was the start of it. I, I did a monthly column for Scolag magazine, uh, and I was doing it as a fair for Jimmy. It was maybe five or six hundred words, and, and I was just picking 
any, any topic that interested me to write about. I, I, in fact, I think my last copy, the last piece I did was an interview with Donald Dewar and I had a conversation with him about, about what the Labour Party would do to pension regulations if they get into power. And of course they did, and then they're not anymore, and pension legislation has changed about 10 times since then, so it doesn't really matter what he thought at the time. But that, that led me to think, I'm, I'm writing this, this stuff every month, and I'm sure that there'd be an outlet for it for somebody to pay me some money to do it. And, and because basically I had started my career with Ensley Insurance selling life assurance, it, it was no big deal to pick up the phone uh, to some editors and just say to them, do you want to buy some of the words that I write? Because I think they make sense and I think they're interesting. And, and I was very fortunate that I just picked a couple of people who were interested and I got them on a good day. Uh, and I started off doing a monthly column for the Scot Scotland on Sunday, I think it was, for the personal finance section. And then off the back of that, I think I did some stuff. I think I just phoned up some magazine editors one day. Uh, and, and I ended up doing a monthly column for a magazine called Maxim, which is no, which was the Felix Brothers, the Dennis Brothers that, that published that. It's no okay. longer published, I don't think. Um, and, and that was really quite interesting because you had to think outside the box for that one. Because if you wanted to, if you wanted to write an article about inheritance tax, you couldn't call it inheritance tax for a lads magazine. No. So you had to think about a subject like how to make money when your parents die. Um, <laughs> and, and it was kind of out the box thinking for subjects for that. So I did that for a month. So I did that every month for a while as well. And then I think the thing about writing is that once you've got once you've got something in print, it's an awful lot easier to get more work because you've got things that you can show somebody. Yeah. Um, it's so the first job is the most difficult one because that's when you go to someone and and they say what have you done? You say nothing. You've got nothing to show them. But once you've got a few different bits and pieces, um, and the interesting thing doing work for for Scotland and Sunday and for Maxim was it was two completely different styles. Um, and and the Maxim thing got me into doing some work for for the Sun. And the interesting thing with that one was that when the editor of the Sun, the women's editor approached me, it was for a Sun woman. Um, she asked me if I would write a piece about pensions, I think it was. And, and I knew that the Sun wanted a hundred words, where Scotland and Sunday wanted a thousand. Right. But, but they wanted me to say exactly the same thing. They wanted to get all the information across in a hundred words. Uh, and, and, and so I said to Jane, how, how do I do that? How do I cut down a thousand words to a hundred words and say the same thing? And she gave me one of the best lessons I've ever had in communication because what she said was, you drop the bottom 900 words and then you rewrite the first 100 words as if you were talking <laughs> to your pals in the pub. Um, and, and when you think about it like that, you start to think that an awful lot of the words that we write when we're writing to people, and, and, and this takes you back into IFA life, that when we're writing to clients, a lot of the stuff that we write to them is just nonsense. Uh, and it's completely unnecessary in terms of their understanding of what we're trying to say to them. And, and I've tried to take that forward in everything I've done, whether it's been in print or on air, that, that it's about using... When you're communicating with people, it's about using small words. Uh, and I think in financial services, we get terribly, we get it the wrong way around because we think we sound more clever if we use big words when we're writing to clients and we're talking to them. Um, and I think the absolutely the opposite is true. That if you can break things down into bite-sized chunks for people, and if you can talk in small words, then people will understand what you're saying. And, and that's, the, that's the kind of ethos I try to bring to the writing and broadcasting that, that I do, that I don't use jargon, and, and I try to use small words. I talk about stuff because people understand words like stuff because they use it themselves. And I think off, off, off the back of uh, the, the writing I was doing, I had a client that, that I worked with years ago who, who was managing director at London Weekend Television. Uh, and I think somebody in Manchester was looking for somebody to talk about a money topic on one of these old, uh, one of the early Granada satellite channels, Granada Breeze or something like that. Okay. And I went down to Manchester uh, one Saturday a month to, to do something that was live. 
Uh, and then off the back of that, I met somebody that worked at GMTV and I started going down to, to London once a week to do uh, GMTV on, on, on the sofa. And, and one thing just leads to another. I think once you've got a bit of a track record, it's easier to get more work. Um, so that, that's that, that, that's a very long answer to your question. How do you start? No, there's some fascinating stuff in there. Just um, just picking up on one thing you said about simplicity. I think you and I share this passion for simple communication. You know, I hate verbosity and the overuse of um, bulky words that we seem obsessed with in the financial services industry. And, and part of what I try to do now in my day job is encourage people to write simple words yeah. and to write stuff. I love that word. Stuff is fabulous, <laughs> isn't it? Just love that. Well, um, it's really funny because um, Dr. Hilary Jones, who is you know the, the, one of the presenters at GMTV, he was he was publishing and editing a magazine called Dr. Hilary's Family Health right. a few years ago, and he asked me if I could write a piece for him that kind of combines something to do with health and something to do with wealth. Uh, and, and interestingly, it was quite an interesting story actually because I found a pal of mine in Glasgow who was a hairdresser. And he sent all his he sent all his staff to Pilates classes once a month. Right. Because he figured that, that if they did Pilates, they're kind of very basic yoga type thing. And if they did that, then one they would be more content and more relaxed, but two they would be off work sick less because they were they were exercising their body. And if you're standing over a hairdresser's chair all day long for eight or ten hours a day, then you got all sorts of muscular muscular aches and pains that was causing him a problem with with attendance with his staff. So I wrote about this, and it was really quite an interesting piece to write. But Hillary phoned me afterwards, and he said, "You know, it's fascinating, Fergus, because yours." Was the only piece that I was able to use in a magazine without without huge editing because all the other pieces were written by doctors and they all thought they were writing for the Lancet or the BMJ and I had to take that I had to send them all back to them and say look, going to write this again in words that people who are buying a magazine in W. H. Smith will understand. Uh, I, I remember a few years ago speaking at a seminar in Edinburgh uh, for the Marketing Society and it was full of. It was full of people who marketed financial service products and, and they'd asked me to come along and give a broadcaster's view of the public perception of the financial services industry based on all of the emails and, and, and letters I was receiving from listeners and, and, and readers at the time. And, and I asked them all, I said to them, put your hand up if you know what a non-invasive cancer in situ was. <laughs> and, and nobody did. And, and that struck me as really strange given that every, every person in that room was, was marketing products that had as an exclusion non-invasive cancer in situ. And, and I, I, I thought, you know what, if the people who are marketing the products to the public don't understand the exclusions, what chances have the policyholders got? Yeah, I mean, I always, always used to make me laugh. There's something to do with heart transplants and coronary artery bypass surgery is described as a, a median sternotomy and I, always, and I always thought that was something to do with the central reservation of the motorway <laughs> one thing that's quite interesting is obviously you 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 knocked on a few doors you rang up a few people you spoke to a few um, editors of magazines and they effectively welcomed you in and, and asked you to write for them i've always felt that Financial advisors are missing a trick here in getting into media and to, and to do the same thing, whether it's on a national basis or, or even just locally. I think it's a great advantage to get their profile raised in their industry and, and indeed in the local area. But do you think there's a there's a sort of fear perhaps amongst financial advisors that they don't want to get involved with the media, perhaps because they're going to get tripped up or because financial services has a poor reputation and therefore they think the journalists are going to have a go at them? Do you think there's an element of that going on? I think there probably is, and, and I think that's why I took the decision when I started. I wasn't. I, I don't do any of the broadcasting I do as an independent financial advisor. I, I, I do it as I think the loosely termly money expert or consumer expert when I'm on air or, or in print. Right. Um, and I spoke to the I can't remember who the regulators were at the time. It was long before the FSA or the FCA. And I said to them, I'm, I'm planning to do this work. Do you have a problem with it? 
Uh, and, and they said, no, we don't, as long as you don't ever mention on air that you are um, that, that you are a regulated financial planner and who you're regulated by. So I'm actually a bona fide member of the National Union of Journalists. Right. And all of the work that I do as a broadcaster, I do as a journalist and broadcaster. And, and therefore, I, I don't, I'm allowed to say what I want to say because, it's none, because none of it is regulated. Um, and, and I'm not doing it as an IFA. But the benefit it gives me over a lot of other journalists and, and, and broadcasters is that my technical knowledge is up to date because I'm a certified financial planner and I practice it almost every day. So I, I don't I don't do the broadcasting work I do to raise my profile as an IFA. I do it to raise my profile as a journalist and broadcaster because I actually quite enjoy doing that and I think there's a message that people need to understand. And, and I think for the for reasons we've already touched on, financial advisors have got a problem getting that message out across to the general public from time to time. And I think that the message I get out and the way I get it out, it informs an awful lot of people in a much easier way than if I was trying to do it as an IFA. So I, it was a deliberate ploy for me um, to do the work that I do as a, as a journalist and as a broadcaster rather, rather than as an IFA who's trying to get profile for, for his or her business. Right. So when you're talking to a client about their finances, you are Fergus Muirhead, the Chartered Financial Planner. When you're talking to John Beattie on BBC Radio Scotland, you're effectively sat there waving your press card. Correct. Yeah. Okay. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. And of course, I've uh, appeared a few times with you on the <laughs> yeah. John, on the John Beatty show when I was uh, when I was marketing director at Bright Grey. Yeah. Always enjoyed those little uh, segues that we used to do. Uh, we used to uh, t- talk us through a little bit about what you do on the John Beatty show and how you. I don't think you actually bring people like marketing directors and financial services providers into the show anymore but just just tell us a little bit about what you and john do on the show and talk about financial planning well i mean what we do is we basically we, we have a segment within the show and, and, and it's generally at the end of the show because it's quite flexible and that means if, if, if the show's tight for time and we've got three minutes left we talk about three minutes and if it's not tight for time then we talk for 10 or 15 minutes and john and i have got that relationship that we can expand the script that i send them because i do send the producers a script every week uh, on a topic of my choosing Right. And so from that point of view, it's, it's very good for me because I've got free reign to talk about anything I want. And I think in four years, I think doing the program every week for four years, there's only been once where the producers have phoned and said, listen, we covered that yesterday, so can we pick something else? Right. So th- there's a huge range of subjects out there. Um, and I just kind of pick whatever I want to talk about. I mean, this week, for example, we talked about reward cards and, and, and the benefit of using reward cards. People, I think, I think the figure was something like, one and a half million people have had free holidays this year because they because they've got so many air miles that they've been able to they've been able to get a holiday without paying for it. Okay, and for a different type of reward card. So it's not always it's not always a subject that, that a financial advisor or an IFA would necessarily talk about. A lot of my work these days, um, and it has been since the beginning, is con- is concerned with consumer rights. Um, so we'll maybe do a piece about. Uh, what happens if you what happens if you buy something that's faulty? Do you take it back to the retailer? Do you take it back to the manufacturer? What does the sale of goods act say in terms of whose responsibility it is to deal with it? Uh, sometimes we'll deal with it by way of a case study. Other weeks we'll just you know we'll just, John will just ask me a series of questions and I'll answer them. Uh, and, and I do a similar thing for the Daily Record every week. I, I write some copy for the for the Daily Record, uh, and, and that's done in much the same way. We get lots of emails from readers. Uh, and we have a kind of major piece every week, which is me answering their questions. And sometimes it might, you know, we've had quite a lot over the last couple of months about uh, about the pension changes and what's happening with the, with, with the new rules that have come into play there. It could be quite just as easily somebody writing to me and saying, um, I had a horrible holiday and Thomas Cook won't give me any money back. So can you go into that for me, please? And, and I'll phone Thomas Cook's press office and say, look, can we just can we sort this one out? So I, I find that stuff really quite interesting. And, and it means that my consumer knowledge is second to none. In fact, it's quite funny. I got an email from someone recently 
about uh, an insurance claim they'd had on some work that had been done to their house. And, and the claim had taken a year and a half to settle. And a day, a day and a half after I got in touch with the insurance company, the guy got his claim settled. And he sent me an email saying, I don't know what you did to these guys and what you said to them, but please remind me never to get on the wrong side of you. <laughs> <laughs> so you've become a bit of a consumer champion in that yeah, respect. Yeah. It's unfortunate that we need to have people like yourself who are going to get on the phone to the press office or to the customer services director and say, look, I don't really think you're treating this customer very well. You know, you, you've got to get yourself sorted out. It's just a shame we seem to have that culture where we need to have that. Well, it is. And I think, I mean, the culture is getting worse. Mm. You know, the standard of service that, that, is, that, that, that is available in, in, in some, some, from some retailers is horrendous. And um, it is a shame. And sometimes I feel that I shouldn't have to do the job that I do. But people don't know who, especially today, when you know so many, so many companies hide behind websites and and they hide behind call centres, and and so many people that are doing these kind of frontline, customer-facing jobs, it's almost as if they're told to, to to deal with it themselves without ever referring something upwards. Yes. But then they're not given the authority to deal with it themselves. So that's that, that's where the frustration comes from. The fr- the frustration comes from the customer saying, "I want you to sort this for me," and 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 the member of staff saying, "Well, I can't sort it for you because I don't have the authority." And the customer then says, well, let me speak to someone that does. And they say, well, I'm not authorised to let you speak to anybody else. <laughs> and you get this kind of revolving conversation that leads to everyone being really frustrated because nobody knows where, where they need to go next. Uh, I think a lot of it could be solved if companies, you know, to, to train their staff an awful lot more. I feel really sorry for some of the staff that are employed in call centres and in shops because they don't have the knowledge. I remember buying a new printer recently um, and, and somebody asked me if I wanted, you know, the, the person at the checkout said, you want to buy... Our, um, our, our special insurance, our special kind of extended warranty. And I said, no, you're all right. I'll just bring it back here if something goes wrong with it. And I think they said something like, um, well, you do realize that if anything happens to after six months, you'll need to send it back to the manufacturer. And I said, you know what? That's just so wrong. Mm. You know, that, that's just not, that is just not in the sale of goods at, at all. And if anything happened, what I didn't say to her was, it was in a sale. It cost me 20 quid. If it breaks down after six months, I'll probably just throw it and buy a new one the way I used them. Yes. Um, but, but the fact that she didn't understand basic sale of goods legislation was not her fault. It, it, it's, it's the company's fault. It's her employer's fault for not training her properly. We're getting some very strong um, themes coming through here, Fergus, um, and and your contact with the consumer, I think, is 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 a massive advantage, and and gives you some fabulous insights. So already, I'm sitting here thinking, the next time I see a piece of really complicated copy, what's going through my mind now is write it like you were writing it for the sun. It's interesting when you talk about you know think when when you're writing for people, think about writing. For, it's, it's a much more difficult thing to do writing for a tabloid than it is writing for a broadsheet. Oh, yeah. and, and, and it's very, I mean, I, when I was writing for Women's Own, they changed the format, and I, I think I did Women's Own every week for five years, and, and they changed the format of the page a couple of times, and they wanted to get more questions in. And I remember I remember having a really quite terse conversation with, with one of the editors one day because they changed, the, 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 they wanted to put, put five questions in rather than four or something. Um, and, and they said that each question had to be 65 words, right. and each answer had to be 65 words. And, and the answer had to encapsulate the specific point that the reader was making, as well as a general point that would help other readers. So if somebody wrote me a four-page letter, which, which wasn't unusual, a four-page letter saying that they bought a television in Curry's, um, and, and the, the television stopped working after four weeks, and they took it back to Curry's, and Curry said, no, you'll need to send it back to Sony because it's a Sony TV. And, and they phoned Sony, and Sony said, no, you'll need to, you know, to take it back to Curry's because that's where you bought it. So the reader's, the reader's gone on and on and on and on for four pages telling me this story, and I've got to distill that their story into 65 words. And then in my answer, I've got to say, 
right, I've sorted the reader's problem because I spoke to Curry's and I said, give this person a new TV because it's faulty and, and they had every right to get a new TV. And at the same time, I've got to expand it out to a general point which says, and if the same thing happens to any of you other million readers out there, your contract when you buy a television from Curry's is with the retailer, not the manufacturer, and therefore you're perfectly entitled to take the TV back to the retailer and expect them to deal with it for you. If you've only got 65 words to do that, you're very particular about the, about the way you use words. Uh, and when you start thinking like that, when you start thinking about not just the, not just the actual words you're using, but the numbers of words you're using, then it, 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 may, it gives you a completely different outlook on the way you put together letters and reports, I think. They'll be asking you to do it in tweets next, so you'll be then restricted <laughs> to 140 characters. That'll be a challenge. One of the things I think is fascinating about talking to you, Fergus, is wondering whether that contact that you have with the consumer as a broadcaster and answering all of these questions in the various publications and radio shows that you're on, you must gain quite a lot of insight into what consumers think about all sorts of different industries, financial services, as well as fast-moving consumer goods, etc. What are the sort of trends and, and topics and themes that come up that people talk to you about in your guise as a broadcaster, which have actually helped you become a better financial planner? People have a lack of understanding about the things that the things that they that they should be doing with their money. Yeah. Um, if you take pensions, for example, you know the, the the government has spent the last year telling people about the freedom and flexibility that they've introduced to the pension market by letting people take the, the you know taking as much money they want out of the pension as soon as they get to fifty five whenever they want it. Yeah. But they've done nothing about explaining to people the tax implications of doing that. So there's lots of people getting really quite. In, enthused by the idea of getting all the money out of their pension and then discovering that they might only end up with 50 or 60% of it because they've got to pay the rest in tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there, there's a kind of deep cynicism. The other thing that, that, that makes you, it makes you look at, at the relationships. And so if you take pensions again as an example, I, I think I joined Ensley in 1983. So I've been involved somewhere along with financial services for the last 30 years or so. And how many times has pension legislation changed in the last 30 years? And if you sit and look at that from a financial planner's point of view, if you're talking to someone now who's in their 20s, the pension landscape in, in 40 years' time when they go to retire will be completely different from what it is today. But the government don't seem to care about that. The government stands up, or George Osborne stands up in Parliament and, and, and makes pronouncements about pension legislation from a political point of view. Yes. And, and I think what, what it's all made me think, or one of the things that's made me think, I've been thinking a lot about this recently, is that we need to divorce politics from some of these financial services issues, from some of these personal finance issues, so that people don't feel as if they're at, that, at the whim of whichever government is power is in power to determine what will happen to their money on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's what people think at the moment, that they've got no control. People, I, I set up a website recently called Money Sucks, and, and the reason for using that name was I think that people do just have this general idea that, that they don't control their money. Right. You know, the people, what happens to people's money washes washes over them because they, they've got absolutely no control over it. And I think that I think that that's one message that I try to get across to, to people is, is that you know it's controlling your money. It's all about you controlling what happens to your money rather than your money controlling you. Um, and that message is coming across a lot. That a lot of people just a lot of people just feel that they're at sea um, when it comes to money because they don't really they don't really understand things and, and they think that. They think that the government and, and, and the banks and financial services professionals don't really have their best interests at heart. Um, and any other financial advisors listening to this, this is not Fergus Muirhead's view. Um, <laughs> you know, this is a view that I'm getting from the, from the people I speak to, that they think that people are only in it for themselves, particularly the government and particularly the banks over the last few years. And I think, you know, go back to what you said, we need to get away from all these big words that we use. You know, 
financial advisors have, have become financial planners and now they become wealth managers now they, and they always want to change the name of what they're doing um, rather than focusing on, on the on the job they're doing for their client and, and I think I think that mindset needs to change people feel that they're quite divorced from from their money at the moment I think that's that's a big message that comes across and I think the other thing is that we're, we've got all these payday lenders and all these companies that are allowed to advertise all these strange products that at stupid rates of interest yeah um, you know I, I was watching an advert the other day for, for um, can I mention particular companies names of, on this of course yeah uh, a company called Satsuma <laughs> this little little Satsuma thing that opened up as the advert was progressing and, and, and there was a wee strap line along the bottom you know we will deal with your money you can make your repayments in affordable segments <laughs> you know, and you just think, for goodness sake! And then it was advertising a, 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 an APR of something like eight hundred and forty-five percent. Now that might be completely disingenuous to them because might, that might be another advert. Theirs might have been the one that was twelve hundred and fifty percent, or, or six hundred. But the bottom line was they were, they were advertising a huge rate of interest, and there was a strap line along the bottom that said, "Failure to keep up with your repayments could cause financial problems." And I actually went on Twitter and sent them a tweet saying, "Actually, I think it's more likely likely to be the case that borrowing money from you." Could cause financial problems. <laughs> and interestingly, I was talking, I, I was speaking at a, a credit union conference in Glasgow last week. And I think there's a fantastic opportunity for the credit unions to kind of come in and, and do what the building societies were seen to be doing, which was which was providing a service for people as its members who were also its owners. And I think the banks have deserted that space. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think the government has the bottle to force them back into that space. And I think that there's so there's a big gap. Payday lenders are, are providing a necessary evil at the moment because the government don't have the bottle to say to the banks, um, you need to lend to you, you need to get back into that space and do what you're supposed to be doing, which is lending to people um, in, in an affordable way that you used to do. And and, and I think there's a bigger issue for uh, you know for, for the for financial services when when all the financial advisors that, that are, are in business, and this is one of the other reasons I do the work I do, is there's lots of people out there that financial advisors don't want to talk to mm-hmm. because they, they can't, earn, they can't earn, earn any money from them because they don't have any cash. Um, and, and, and therefore, somebody like me that's available via the newspapers or, 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 or via Money Sucks, uh, or just because people know me, you know, who, who, can, who can actually lend, you can actually lend a hand to some of these folk and, and, and give them a wee bit of help because there's lots of people out there at the moment that are really struggling. We keep getting told that the economy is improving um, and, and on a macro level it might be, but we've just come through five or six years where price inflation has been higher than wage inflation and, and, and people are struggling out there. Um, and, and I think, I think people need to, need to feel that there's somebody out there that can help them. And, and, and won't rip them off when they're helping them. Yeah, I think it's very clear to me talking to you, Fergus, that senior executives within financial services organisations need to get close to the customer, not just by doing the odd bit of research like they might do just before they launch a product, but actually get out there and talk to them like you are. And I, I use myself as a case in point here. The higher up within business corporate that I got, as much as I tried to fight against it, I would get taken further and further away yeah. from the consumer. And when I was finally appointed to the position of managing director, you know, I thought, here's a great opportunity for me to really drive the customer um, agenda. But of course, I spent more time in regulatory meetings and planning committees and regulatory committees. And you think, I'm further away from the consumer than I've ever been in my yeah. career here. And And there must be a way that we can try to break out of that and put these people in front of the people who they're serving. Absolutely. Um, an example I used last week was the one that uh, I, I, I was made redundant in 1994. Uh, I lived in Manchester. We just had a baby. My wife wasn't working. We had a big mortgage. In fact, mortgage rates 
doubled one afternoon, not long after we bought the house. Um, and, and I, because of the work I do, and I was doing at the time, I was able to pick up the phone to my building society and say, listen, guys, I can't pay you for six months. Can we come to some agreement here? And, and, and we did. But that's a completely different conversation from me ignoring my building society for six months. Yes. And, them, and then them then writing to me six months later and saying, you haven't paid us for six months. Completely different conversation altogether. Uh, and I think we need to be educating people and, and, and helping them understand money uh, and understand what happens when your circumstances change. And you, you spent, uh, you know, you spent a, a long number of years working with, with protection. And I think that's another big thing at the moment that, you know, I'm, I'm reading a lot of reports at the moment of a number of people that, 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 that don't have enough protection even to cover their mortgage. That's right. Uh, and, and debt in itself, and I've always said this, debt in itself is not a problem. It's a change in circumstance that makes debt a problem. There's a huge body of work needs to be done as well about about making sure that people are adequately protected against against sickness and against illness and against death because I still think that people haven't got that message. Fergus, it's been fascinating to talk to you about all of these different and varied subjects surrounding consumers, surrounding money, surrounding financial planning, and of course the unique insight you are able to get from your contact with consumers through your dual role as a financial planner and a broadcaster. There's lots that we can learn from your experience. I would urge everybody who um, has listened to the podcast to go and have a look at Money Sucks, which is moneysucks.net. I'll include that URL in the show notes for this podcast, which you'll be able to find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. But before we go, Fergus, I always like to finish the podcast with a quick fire round of business questions. Are you okay to stay just for a few more moments to cover those off? No problem. If there was one thing that you could change about the financial services industry, what would it be? I'd abolish big words. <laughs> Tell us about a marketing campaign or product or something that's caught your attention in the last year. Pensions. The way the government has mishandled the the, the way they've changed the legislation. I was sitting. I was in a BBC studio when George Osborne stood up at his budget last year. We all just about fell off our chairs. We couldn't really believe that he was saying what, what we heard him saying. I really don't think that that's what pensions are designed to do. Uh, I, and I wish somebody could turn the clock back and it hadn't happened. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your working life. My iPad. Uh, and even more importantly, recently, you might be interested in this one as well. I've discovered a teleprompter app. Oh, right. App, app which is fantastic. It allows me to write speeches if I'm delivering speeches somewhere. I tend to write mine out longhand, right? Um, and, then, and then just use it as an aid memoir when I'm speaking. Uh, but I've got this app on my iPad now that allows me to that, that allows me to write it as a word document somewhere else, import it into teleprompter, and then and then start it start it work start it rolling while when I start speaking at whatever speed I want to I wanted to speak at, and then I can just refer to it whenever I need to. Fantastic. Before we sign off, Fergus, I'm sure people want to get in touch with you. What's the best way that they should contact you? Well, as you mentioned, the Money Sucks site, Money Sucks is moneysucks.net, and, and there's an email address there, which is just information, info at moneysucks.net. Uh, I've also got my own website at fergusmuirhead.com, which, which, which explains some of the other things that I do in my life. When I'm not involved with money, I, I tend to be very involved with music, um, and that, that explains all of that. And, and I've got an email address there as well, which is just mail at fergusmuirhead.com. So either of these email addresses, info at moneysucks.net or email at mail at fergusmuirhead.com. Uh, or I'm on Twitter just at Fergus Muirhead and as always I'll include those details on the show notes for this podcast at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF Fergus thank you so much for talking to me today it's been fascinating let me wish you every success for the future and hope to catch up with you again soon thanks Roger I've really enjoyed it as well
for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. If you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.